Everybody and welcome to episode four oh three of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined this week by my uh, literary classic co-host Peter. That's right, Kurt. He um, was authored in like the 1850s. Yes, whenever it came out. Who who wrote who wrote our feature this week? Jim Henson um, had to. <laughs> but I think um, his son actually wrote the screenplay for this movie. Oh, that's uh, nice. Um, Treasure Islands. So written we, this by... is a surprise, a bit of a surprise even to us. Um, this is the David Nickel Field edition. <laughs> I was gonna say the David Nickel bag, but then I I was gonna screw up my own joke. It's the David Nickel Field edition because, like magic, we've produced another '90s winter classic out of thin air. Um, yes, uh, to to those of you who who just listen to the show and aren't involved in the behind the scenes, which is presumably all of you. Um, Jake, Jake didn't tell us until Wednesday. I don't know. Jake, 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 could, be lis- Jake could be listening to the show. <laughs> you never know. If you are listening, um, Jake, from but, Florida, I hope yeah. you enjoy wiping all that sunshine off the hood of your car. Um. Yeah, Jake didn't tell us until like Wednesday that he was in Florida till Sunday. And um so that threw a, a wrench in our previously scheduled final, third and final nineties month episode, um A League of Their Own. <sighs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> but which will be coming. At least I have the yeah. common decency to have a death in the family before I get out of town. I'm yeah, sure that's so. This continues to be just the worst '90s month we've ever done. Between moving it back a month and having half the episodes in it be missing one of the co-hosts, just a terrible effort all around. Just bad. So that's why we need one of the best '90s movies that we could find, and that's why yeah. we're here on a, on a Jim Henson's soundstage. <laughs> um, talking about Muppet, the Treasure Island. Muppet Treasure Island, uh, nineteen ninety six. Cla- of- this is this is actually one of the more nostalgic nineties months that we've done for me personally because it features two movies I watched like a million times as a kid: Muppet Treasure Island and Good Burger. And it features a movie like this episode now features a movie that I watch. Really often, uh, in fact, I didn't watch the movie this week in preparation for the show because I had seen it less than a month ago. Yeah, <laughs> I actually saw this for I, I did want to see it again, um, but I had seen it for Thanksgiving because we wanted like a Thanksgiving movie to watch. And like there's no family. there's food in this one. <laughs> there's no there's no good family friendly like Thanksgiving movie that isn't like a crappy Hallmark movie that I can think of. So we're yeah. like, fuck it. We have a we have a videotape of Muppet, Muppet Treasure Island. We'll watch this, and then we'll watch Christmas Carol when I come back for Christmas. <laughs> it's the perfect plan. This this is the perfect duology. Um, yeah, the Muppet literary classic duo. I I don't know why they stopped making these, and we'll uh, we'll talk. I've compiled compiled something of a list of ideas for other Muppet literary classic movies. Uh, I did this instead of my job this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. This was a, um, was a miserable I multitask. Kind of a Friday. 
yes, it was not a great Friday for anyone. Um, but anyway, uh, and to answer the original question, Treasure Island was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. Okay. And That's it was name published. I, I recall, so I must have heard it at some point. I don't know when it was published. It was published on November 14th, so Thanksgiving-esque, uh, 1883. Ooh. That's actually pretty recent. I thought it would, would have come by a lot sooner, but my surprise. <laughs> We're talking about 1883. I was thinking like 1746. Well, that would it'd be a contemporary story at that point. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. He's like, oh, I'm writing about the time. The story's set in the mid 18th century. Modern tale. <laughs> is it really an 1800s novel if it isn't five um, framing devices deep by the time you get to the events of the plot? I'd, uh, well, I say no. And Mary my Shelley of, also says no. Muppet I, Frankenstein. I was, I was told... Um, that was one I considered, but ultimately did not make my list. Um, I was told that the original draft of Frankenstein that Mary Shelley submitted had to like be completely rewritten by the editor because it was so poorly written. Oh, like just grammatically, like the mm. story and all that, like the core ideas of it are Mary Shelley's, but um, the I don't remember where exactly I read it. I but yeah, I believe it was heavily edited. Due to uh, some some yeah. grammatical deficiencies, Lame but I don't know that. I don't know that. Um, yes, Lemus was I'm, one of the ones that made my list. And I'm Javert. <laughs> oh my God, Fozzie as Javert, that'd be perfect. <laughs> it's either him or Sam. <laughs> Sam Sam would be a little too on the nose and serious. It's a Muppet movie. It's got to be a comedy. <laughs> and you don't want Javert to be too threatening or too scary a character for the little kitties. So you got to have Fozzie be Javert. Or you just get Russell Crowe again. <laughs> just, yeah, Russell Crowe could be your... You see, you... It's such a simple formula. Uh, and we'll, we'll, I, we'll talk about it more when we get to the feature. Yeah. But you just get a British actor of some renown and you throw him in there with your Muppets. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> And yet it could be Michael Caine, could be Tim Curry. You know, you could just pick from anywhere on the spectrum. <laughs> it takes a, it takes that finesse, but you know, once you got it, you got it. Who would, yeah, who would be the modern, who's, a, who's the modern British actor? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes, it would be him. Okay. I would, I would think him or maybe um, Matt Berry. <laughs> oh, oh, Matt Berry. Yes. <laughs> So Benedict Cumberbatch ah, would be Kermit. like your Michael Caine pick, you know, an esteemed actor who's done a lot of prestige work in his career. And Matt Berry would be the Tim Curry pick. The, um, the scene chewing over the top. Yes. In the best so way. like there's a great meme that says the reason that uh, Michael Caine works so well in Muppet Christmas Carol is because he treats the Muppets as his fellow actors. And Tim Curry does so well in Muppet Treasure Island because he considers himself a Muppet. So I really think Benedict Cumberbatch and Matt Perry really, in modern times, embody that sentiment. It's really good. The dynamic. That's the scale that we have here. Disney, I hope you're listening. <laughs> I know you're in a bad spot right now. I'm Disney. giving you a way out. <laughs> this is a license to print money I am handing you right now. Yeah. Also... 
this is this will also think about this movie i know we <laughs> we do have to get to trailers <laughs> but i will throw this one last nugget out as we proceed in i was thinking about this um i i think my new favorite disney princess is miss piggy because <laughs> she she has to be a disney princess now like there's no way I, that she's not i suppose that's true i don't know that every female character under the disney umbrella is necessarily a disney princess but i think miss piggy would definitely consider herself to be one right if nothing else i think i think that's enough She's, Are you gonna she tell has her all now? the the characteristics <laughs> that you want out of you know your your strong female lead. <laughs> she just I don't happen- know about that one, but <laughs> she just happens to be three feet tall and made of felt. <laughs> all right, with that, we'll actually start talking about some of these trailers on yeah. our trailer review and random segment. Trey watch. Talk about uh, nothing as good as Muppet Treasure Island it seems yeah. to be coming out. I was going to say, we can talk about what sounds like a Muppet. Uh, Ricky <laughs> Stanicki. <Yeah. laughs> um, so it's this a is... comedy movie. It's got yep. some some people who are normally pretty good in it. Uh, but it's a, it's a premise that, well somewhat novel maybe not novel but at least like you know uh, not as worn out yeah yeah it feels like a classic kind of classic premise but it's i have just haven't seen it before where the yeah they they have their fake friend who they use to get out of situations but then when their backs are against the wall this group of bros has to have they have to hire a actor to play their fake friend and (laughs) then I like this because it's like a double twist, which means they yeah. kind of had to put effort into it. <laughs> is that their fake friend actor become is super charismatic and becomes like the life of their the life of the party and is like stealing their spotlight. Yeah, and uh, you know they they kind of turn on him and want him out of the picture, but he he has everything he's ever wanted now, so. There's the friction there, and I'm sure at the the end of it, they're all actually be friends yeah. and bond over the shared experience. Here's the here's the second act climax where he reveals or nearly reveals to everyone that he's the that he's a fake and that they've been lying, and then yeah. he leaves in a huff, and they have to get him back because they realize what a joy he's been in their lives and how he's improved things. Yep, that sounds sounds about right. Yep. Um, Go to see Zac Efron's new plastic surgery. Maybe I don't know his face. Is, I I don't know. It's hard to tell. I I mean he he's looked like that in the last few things I've seen him in. I think I don't know. The haircut kind of throws me off a little bit. Um. Yeah. I feel like he's looked like that for a while though. Okay. Although I'm also notoriously bad at spotting that sort of thing. <laughs> I think it's just maybe he's just older. I don't know. And I really yeah. don't care enough to interrogate further. Beyond. Yeah, he's like in his 40s, I think. Uh, yeah, this is coming out March 7th. I believe it's straight to Prime. So you don't have to worry about whether or not you want to spend time and money going out to see this in a theater. 
Yep. Uh, it'll be right there for you to check out at once Morbid you, Curiosity. Once you finish binging Hell of a Boss, it'll be right there <laughs> to watch. Um, speaking it'll of, probably autoplay if yes. you if you leave the room while you're while you're asleep, uh, you'll wake up in the middle. Speaking of movies that um, are who are who had to contend with the fate <laughs> of going directly to streaming, um, I I kind of we're we're shooting the load early here, but Monkey Man is the big trailer on campus this week, if I had to say so. Um, um, this and maybe one other. Um, yeah. But, so this movie was almost going to be a direct-to-Netflix movie, but Jordan Peele said, no, this has we, we this needs a theatrical release. Uh, so he got it to be signed, he got it to be bought by Universal, so now we'll be appearing in theaters. Monkey Man. Um, Dev Patel... Is this is his first um, director? This is a directorial debut, and I think okay. is, is this also him starring in it. Yeah, he's he's starring in it as okay. well. Yes. Um, I did not love the last Dev Patel movie I watched, which was Green Knight. Oh, that's what he was um, in last. Yes. Okay. Well, it's, I don't know if that's what he was in last, like in his career, but it's the last thing I saw him in. Mm. Um, I, for me too, I guess. But this looks interesting. It's it's tough for me to gauge this, right? So, like, the premise kind of is it's a Bollywood movie, but made by people in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's Hollywood does Bollywood, and it's got some of the, the trademark Bollywood stuff, obviously a primarily Indian cast, um, you know, kind of over the top action sequences but not like super over the top like there's nothing that approaches RRR levels of insane in it yeah and I don't see evidence of a music number and some of the fight scenes feel a lot more John Wick than they do I think like yeah raw think one that's what <laughs> they were going for it seems like um that kind of mood um, and it's not a bad target to aim for, I'd say, especially if it's your debut. Um, but well, I would argue that that's maybe a bit ambitious to pull off, because the reason John Wick works and is memorable is because it has a very creative and authentic feeling action, which is not necessarily something that's easy to do. If it was easy to do the action genre would have a lot fewer terrible movies in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very true. So I, I feel like that's maybe, if you're aiming to be John Wick in your first movie, uh, especially when you're someone who's not really known for act, act, uh, action as an actor, um, mm -hmm. I feel like that's maybe a little bit ambitious. But, uh, you know, it, it looks intriguing, at least. I don't know. I mean, April... That's probably going to be a slow <laughs> month, so we'll probably end up yeah. seeing it. But I don't really, uh, I don't feel like I'm missing out too much. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it uh, could be a sleeper hit. Yeah, um, we'll we'll have to see how it goes. I'm looking at this now again, and I can at least say that they it has. I know I see why people are comparing it to John Wick, and that it has a lot of the action scenes. Or a lot of the scenes in general are, it's very like, I chose a color palette for this portion of the movie. We're going to do yeah. everything, and I'm going to crank it up. 
um, to, to very strong levels, whether it's the orange, the classic orange and blue, or it's the, um, the bathroom green, I'll call it matrix green, or, you know, whether it's like the, the orange or, you know, it feels like this, there's going to be a lot of very dynamic color palettes, very exaggerated color palettes in this movie. And that was one of the, that was one of the choices that, uh, showed up in John Wick, you know. Um, so I can see why people would take that resemblance. I see a lot of uh, kind of consistency in reds and oranges throughout the the scenes they showed. And, I mean, the iconography they use in, like, the title cards is all red and black, so maybe that was just a choice for the trailer. Um, but I would say there's a pretty unified aesthetic of red throughout uh, the trailer. Regardless, um, I do like, I will praise this trailer as a trailer for not giving shit away. Um, it's a, th- a three-minute trailer, and I've, like, we we see so often where it's just, here's a synopsis of the movie in a in a minute and a half. Yeah, you get, you get a little bit of, of the premise. Um... You know, the guy is from a lower caste and, you know, it's the rich don't or maybe it just doesn't have a lot of money. I don't know if they're going to, like, represent the caste system in India. Um, But regardless, um, you know, the rich don't view the poor as people or whatever. And he he takes a job at some company and then uh, perhaps as a means to infiltrate and go on as John Wick spree, um, perhaps as a means to make ends meet, and then something else happens. You don't get everything, right? You, there's, they don't, I didn't, at least I didn't notice what the inciting incident is for his... Uh, I think they kidnap his, the, his lady friend. Oh, okay, it was a kidnapping? Yeah. I see. Like he, that's why he's infiltrating, is to like go see Or maybe her. they're, they're kind of like trafficking, because they saw multiple girls... So I guess it's kind of a little more like Taken. Oh, another reason people compare it to John Wick, the dog. 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 Dog in movie with gun, John Wick. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what Monkey Man has up its sleeves. I hope, I hope it delivers, but I just have a feeling that it's going to kind of feel empty in some way. Because it, I just don't think it's gonna capture the authentic, uh, Desi Bollywood or or Tollywood action splendor. Yeah, and if it if it turns out that it's not looking so well once it comes out, maybe we'll find a an actual Bollywood Tollywood movie that we can uh, we can go see instead. They, yeah, they come out all the time, and we. We, we, they are in our theaters. We happen to get most of them because we have a lot of people uh, living in this area that have emigrated from that region of the planet. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we have cell phone. <laughs> this uh, movie, has nothing to now do this with movie we bling, know disappointingly. Yeah, this movie I know is not going to be great. It's it's very obvious. I I love how bad this trailer is. Um, it's the evil. It's the evil cell phone. Yep, it's that, the cursed cell phone. That's the, that's the new trend now. 
we're on, we're back on cursed objects. We were I doing was... children's games for a while, but now we're back on cursed objects. Now remember, if you get this scenario in betrayal, you just have to make it out the door. Yeah, and the cops will come to get you. Um, some of my f- my favorite lines are right in the middle of the trailer where she's obviously seen the spooky, scary things happening and she's sitting in her bed, like scrunched up in the dark and she's talking with her one like lifeline. And he's like, how are things going? She's, how are you settling in? And she's like shaking and she's like, it's I'm settling in just fine. <laughs> and she's like <laughs> cowering in her room. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, I'm sure you'll be perfectly safe. I'm like, no one who says that. <laughs> Yeah, why would you? What are you talking about? Why like, would you, I be unsafe? Do, do you know something? <laughs> Should I be worried? <laughs> now you got me worried. <laughs> You're scaring me. I've seen. Um, there's seen so yeah. many dark things. It's, yeah, I was. As the comments say, like, um, this was. It's like this was probably a short film where they did like the cool visual effect of like, oh, the the picture moved in the screen, but not in real life. You know, and it was like a yeah. five minute v- student film. And I was like, okay. It's so, funny that this, this trailer comes out when I got into a brief, I don't know, I call it an argument, but um, a discussion that mm-hmm. I think they were maybe a little more heated about than I was about uh, horror movies and the Academy Awards. Someone was like, why don't they ever nominate horror movies? For Academy Awards, and I was like, "Well, Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie, and that won five Academy <laughs> Awards." And, <laughs> and they're like, "Well, that was three decades ago, and its horror elements are minimal." And like, first off, I don't know about minimal, uh, and second off, were any snubbed <laughs> in that time? Yeah, like uh, most of the genres, low effort shit like this. That's why they never That's get kind nominated. Of the highlight of it, yeah, I was like, because they never strive to be art. <laughs> Yeah, what what movie were they thinking of that they wanted know. to see nominated? I they never responded to that last comment. <laughs> yeah. I can I can imagine why. Um and at the end, oh yeah, at the end they have the last shot of the trailer is the woman looking like fucking the nostalgia critic with that smile. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was I thought it was from Smile. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, it's just Smile again. Cool. Sequel smile. <laughs> smile more. Um yeah, no, so this looks pretty trash. I it might be even trash and so bad it's good. Well, I'm not gonna go and find out. I'm just gonna let other people find that out for me. Thank you very much. Um we move on. We proceed. We do proceed to talk about Roadhouse. Whatcha? Whatcha? Um so yeah, this is the long, the long discussed. I feel like I've been hearing about this movie for ages. Uh, Roadhouse remake starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Conor McGregor, who just looks very out of place in this movie. <laughs> Condor McGregor, yeah. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't make for. He doesn't have what Patrick Swayze had in this role. Um, and that that's a little thing called charisma. <laughs> little charisma. This really isn't a Jake Gyllenhaal role. I don't know. I I I don't look at Jake Gyllenhaal and see action star. 
and judging from the box office receipts from some of his action movies like uh, uh, Prince of Persia, I would say the world agrees with me. That's that's the only Jake Gyllenhaal action movie I could come up with. I mean, uh, I guess Spider-Man, but he doesn't yeah. do really any action in that. Um, uh, the Covenant, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, that maybe is that's by, the, by the books an action movie. Yeah. Um, was Nightcrawler, would you call Nightcrawler an action movie? Um, it's a thriller, I would say. Yeah. Um, he's done horror, life. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's in a movie called Southpaw. It was about boxing. I guess this is kind of similar. I don't know how that did. It's got a 7.3 on IMDb. Oh, that's right. He was an end of watch. That movie was terrible. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, really? The same end of watch starring Michael Peña and Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I guess. Okay. It, I, I, I don't know. That's we, only one point a, less we, than training day. <laughs> we have a whole segment where, where we talk to reviewers, but... Um, we talk about reviewers, but I guess even even that one it eludes me. The machinations. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is. I yeah. It's it's gonna be cheesy, but not in a fun way. Um. Yeah. I feel like it's gonna be like the the original Row House was cheesy in a fun way. Um. This. Yeah. This doesn't feel like it feels like it's going to take itself too seriously to be fun in the way that the original roadhouse was yeah it, i maybe we'll just maybe when this comes out we'll just go watch the original yeah um that's the great thing about remakes is even if they suck yeah. the original's out there <laughs> yeah this is this is just so conor mcgregor can try out acting and for that, like, that's the novelty of it. There's not, I, yeah, I suppose so. It's not a huge amount of substance here. It's just like, oh, look, here's a couple, you know, oh, it's got Jake Gyllenhaal, and it's Conor McGregor in a movie, and it's based on other thing. You know, it's like all these features, but, like, where's the actual meat? Yeah, I don't probably think it's going to be there. there. Yeah. Yeah, so. I I would agree. Um, so yeah, that's that's trailers really. Yep. Not too much more to say about that. So let's follow up on some of the movies we've covered previously on Trey Watch. In the follow up, talking about the domestic box office for weekend three of 2024, covering January 19th through January 21st. Um, and Peter blipped out of existence, continuing its. Two-week streak on top, we have Mean Girls, which brought in $11.6 million in its second week, dropping 59.3% despite opening in 35 more theaters. 
Um, still a meager success for Paramount Pictures as it's brought in just a tick under $70 million worldwide, 69.7, if precision is something you care about. Um, I don't know what the budget on that was. I imagine not terribly big. Um, yeah. It's a, so it's it probably knocking on the door of being profitable. Uh, Beekeeper also staying put at number two, uh, ticking up to or down to $8.6 million this week as it did lose 48% week on week despite opening in 27 more theaters. What were the holdouts on these guys? Well, I guess that's only in 3,300 theaters. But I don't know, but got... every, every single place I visited this week, whenever there was a movie theater, was Beekeeper, the Beekeeper. Yeah, it's got an IMAX version. <laughs> oh, I see. There's an IMAX. That's what's playing in IMAX at Crossgates right now. Damn, they really, they really pump this thing out to everything. Okay. Um, well, they you need something to keep that theater warm. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's brought in seventy nine million dollars. So it's actually out earned Mean Girls, despite finishing behind. Oh, I guess it did better overseas. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Not not a strong international box office for Mean Girls. No, I don't imagine so. That one really seems like a U.S. product. Yeah. Wonka hangs out in third once again. A lot of, lot of, not a lot of changeover in the top ten here. Yeah. I got to say, Warner, I feel like this was a surprise, surprising to me as a hit, like as, as, well as this is doing i did not expect it to do this well but i think yeah. the timing was just right where they knew this would get so much hang time because of um what else was or i guess more of the case was not going on in theaters well wb really needed this like they've they've been taken on the chin with how hard all the dc movies have been flopping so they really needed something to come out of nowhere and be a big hit for them so they i they put a lot into this movie like they promoted it pretty heavily they you know obviously they got a popular actor set yeah. of actors um in it they got someone who was going to be on people's minds because the next dune's coming up so they got him in front of that um and also they have the next dune coming up now, yeah <laughs> this is yeah timothy the uh, mr chalamet is a is a w beaster they yeah. they they're keeping him stored in the water tower with the animaniacs. Yeah, Michigan J Frog is his uh, personal chauffeur at this point. <laughs> um, I was looking for its budget, Wonka budget. I've already searched that. It was 125 million USD. So okay. it's... we're looking. It's definitely profitable. You're looking at like a good 200 mil profit, which. Uh, you know, not sure. Not the worst. Seems I mean, it doesn't make up for doesn't make up for some of those those hard losses, but um, pretty good for that. And I'm sure Dune will be uh, similarly successful for them. Yeah. Migration actually manages the claw up a spot here. Five point four six million dollars. Uh, holding steady week on week, only down twelve percent. Mm-hmm. Despite leaving 130 theaters, and that's brought itself up to 193 million dollars worldwide, 
which does make it profitable because they went with Illumination, the cheapest house in town. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, so it's all they they can just coast on it. Everyone's favorite thirst trap. Anyone but you uh, is hanging on in fifth this week. Bring in <coughs> a another five point four million dollars. <coughs> And uh, this movie, I think, was, to me at least, this is probably the big surprise success story of the the winner here. This is made over $100 yeah. million. Dollars. Um, People are going to remember this, I guess. Two, to be precise. Um, gotta imagine the budget on this was not particularly high. $25 million. So it only needed to make $75 million. To to break well probably less than I I don't think they really spent too too much money advertising this so I don't know if they're looking at a whole two and a half x to get the ROI but man even so that's a tidy twenty five mil out of a uh, a kind of like uh, out of nowhere property without yeah, just, any real is this I guess, what every like this it's is just what every star power. maker imagines when they make these movies. They're like, I'm gonna be this. You know what? Actually, this is the first I think this is the first like zoomer rom com, right? Like and not not in like a hokey, like young person zoomer way, but like the the oldest zoomers, like the ones, mm-hmm. you know, just a few years after us, you know, because we're we're right on the border. Yeah. Um Better. They're they're reaching the age now. We're getting a little old and gray, like as are teens, they. College, early college age. Well, mid twenties now, late twenties yeah. even. Like I'm fucking gonna be thirty this year, so someone who was born in nineteen ninety seven would be twenty seven. Um, yeah. So this was this this is the the old Zoomers rom com. This is theirs. It's yeah. got stars that they recognize, and. <laughs> It's yeah, and it's it, you. You nailed it. Um, what was our what was our big was it the Notebook? That was like just a romance. That wasn't a comedy. That was just a romance. Yeah, that was that was a lot more serious. Like forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, probably a Judd Apatow movie of one of one of those. You know. Yeah, I'm as I'm about I'm gonna be about as accurate with. Uh, rom-com names as I am with like 90s 90s bands I was gonna Petty put a musical act <laughs> I was gonna put a genre in there but like no I'm just not bound by genre well I was I was surprised you bound it to your particular decade because you've misfired wildly on music throughout history <laughs> I will cite the sting versus Brian Adams confusion Fuck. That one's that one. They're not that even that there. similar musically. They're not. And yet here, here I am, not being, not being able to differentiate them. Oh, it's not so, being rock like that a fucking hurricane. meme. Corporate wants you to find the difference between these two pictures. It's the same picture. All right, Aquaman in the Last Kingdom. Aqua is... dude in the place that nobody went to. Yeah, the only six. lost kingdom was the fucking theaters they showed this in. <laughs> Sixth place for them, three point six million down of thirty point four percent. Sub four hundred million dollar take worldwide. So uh, 
It might have made back the production budget. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much how much numbers this did overseas. Yeah, like really, uh, superhero fatigue, I guess, is not set in in uh, in the foreign yeah. lands. Damn Americans, so picky about their. I maintain it's not superhero fatigue. It's just the superhero movies lately have been shit. It's not on our part. It's on the part of the movie makers. Yeah. Um, ISS opens this week in seventh um, from Bleecker yep. Street Media, which is not a not a distributor I recognize. I've seen them. They they make movies. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's an accurate like, assessment. I think they were the ones who made evidence cell phone. suggests you're right, Peter. <laughs> I think they're the ones making cell phone. Like they made oh one of the God. trailers we talked about. If not Immaculate, which we didn't talk about, which was another pre- pregnant demon nun movie. <laughs> what a what a groundbreaking piece of art. A nun is uh, pregnant with Satan? Say it ain't so. That's crazy. I've never heard that story before. Never ever has something that controversial yet so brave been attempted. Um, yeah, but ISS opening in seventh with a three point zero six million dollar opening weekend. Um, it's brought in a little more money in the almost week since, uh, up to four point two million dollars all domestic. Although I wouldn't ex- necessarily expect Bleecker Street Media to to do international. <laughs> yep. Even though I feel like Bleecker Street sounds like a British studio. I think Bleecker. That's to me. It sounds like some place in New Orleans, like okay, or Memphis, some, some place in London. Oh, he's on Bleecker Street. He's well, a- there's a uh, there's a lot of Anglo Street names over here because we used That's to be true. British colonies. That's very um, true. But anyway, ISS, more importantly than any of that shit, finds itself in our spotlight. Um, Which is a, it's a laser pointer pointed up at the ISS. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, yeah, so here's here's ISS. It's uh, it's a movie, and it's gotten some. Some feedback from some some people and some critics. Uh, to right. the tune of sixty four percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's a critic score anyway. The audience score is less forgiving, only forty four percent. IMDb has a five point seven out of ten. Fifty three percent on Metacritic with a. Um, better I want to say better audience score hold on no a worse audience score 4.6 so critics seem to like this movie more than audiences which is always interesting um yeah usually it's not that way um or when it is there tend to be some similarities between those movies uh and I don't see those in this but as always, to get the real scoop, you gotta go to the to the source. You gotta go down to the street level. Some say and they've fallen from space and were found <laughs> in a meteorite. <laughs> I I like to think of them as emerging from the sea, like Godzilla. Um, like Pacific Rim. But whatever, whatever mythology you subscribe to surrounding the origin of real reviewers, 
um, we're here to Study to brave them. to brave the murky water. Yes, we've been we've been living amongst them for years, <laughs> compiling <laughs> Not our that research. They've been living amongst us. <laughs> We're hiding from the day they'll review my day. No, no. So. Th- thankfully, they do not live amongst normal humans. That would be dangerous for everyone involved. I think. Could you imagine the, the horror? <laughs> um. But anyway, let's let's watch safely behind our glass panels as I read <laughs> the lone ten out of ten review for ISS. They did not hire by... the bots for this one. KFK. No, the Bleecker Street Media didn't have that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't afford the AstroTurf. <laughs> KFK WVX uh, has this to say about ISS. You know, there aren't a lot of 10 out of 10 reviews, but what they lack in number, they more than make up for in passion. As according to um, one of the best movies I've ever seen, double exclamation mark. You um, may not have seen a lot of movies. Yes. Uh, much like one of the one out of ten reviews that will be read, uh, you need to see more movies. But I suspect that this is a bait. Uh, it's a great bait, mate. Uh, let's see if our audience will rate it 8 out of 8. Warning spoilers. <laughs> Me and my dad seen this today at the theaters, and boy, it was awesome. Double exclamation mark. My heart was pacing a little bit coming out. A definite 10, exclamation mark. We'll watch again. My heart was beating just when it was about to start. Well, I hope it was beating. Otherwise, (laughs) you wouldn't be writing this review. (laughs) Were you revived at the start of the movie? And that's why you like it? Because you've gotten a second lease on life? I think I've cracked it. Um, uh, My heart was beating just when it was about to start, but still was excited. Had a big snack. Better than other movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey. (laughs) Space and history slash war. A definite perfect genre combo mix. Great movie. Hope they do a second part soon. Good teamwork. Glad two characters survived and were able to get the Earth. (laughs) Just littered with exclamation marks. (laughs) Wish we could have seen Earth, but still an awesome space movie. I would recommend this movie, triple exclamation mark, a hundred out of ten, better than Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation mark. A a staggering two out of 24 found that one helpful. (laughs) I'm amazed. That's it. That hits that rides that line so nice. Good job, good job. You did, that review deserves a ten out of ten. <laughs> I give that review a ten out of ten. Yeah. Oh, unlike uh, here we have Mister Blue Six. Oh my one god! I think I've read. I think he's a returning. He's he's reviewed three movies, um, and one of them was Halloween Kills, which we we spotlighted. And I'm pretty sure I remember reading this review. <laughs> All right. He's on the list. And he deserves to be on this list. I love it. He he doesn't come out often. He hit Quantumania, Halloween Kills, and ISS. <laughs> Just low, qu- low quantity, high quality. Um, from the site that brought you 
one of the best movies I've ever seen comes Mr. Blue Sixes, one out of ten. Legitimately the top ten worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Again. Uh, we've got a difference of opinion more movies. here. <laughs> um warning spoilers also. Uh terrible. Trash. Horrible. Awful. Horrendous. Atrocious. Garbage. Useless. There's not enough ang- negative adjectives in the English language to get even close to describing just how bad this was. The premise actually sounds pretty promising. Uh, Russians and Americans trapped on the is while Earth is in nuclear war. But the execution of the premise, just terrible. The characters are among the dumbest characters in any media ever. Aren't astronauts supposed to be smart? If any of them used even 1% of their brains, nothing would have ever happened. Gordon get hit by the big robot arm because he's just standing there staring at it and not doing anything. This is just after he stood around for a few minutes in space, doing nothing and not loving while Russians are inside plotting against him. All of this was after he was already a suspect of the Russians. The American guy, for some reason, lied to the American girl that the Node Zero didn't exist, and she just accepted that with no explanation. They also could have just both left in the escape pod together while the Russians were distracting each other. Then later, the American guy somehow finds out about the women planning for just the American girl to leave with the anti-radiation stuff. The Russian girl died, so there isn't really a way for him to have found out. (laughs) <laughs> the flight between Gordon and bad Russian guy was just trash. It doesn't even make sense how the fight started. Gordon lets go of his weapon for no reason, then gets killed by that weapon, lol. He de- he debately shouldn't really have died from that wound either. <laughs> that's I think it's a mix between debatably and definitely. <laughs> I like I like to think so. <laughs> He, I like that deba- it's both definite and up for debate. <laughs> he debately shouldn't have died from that. <laughs> there was no conclusion in the story at all. The Russian guy and the American girl leaving the ISS in a Soyuz capsule. He asks that he asks here where they're going, and she says, "I don't know." All while they finally receive responses from their governments. I think it's probably a good idea to at least think for a second about where you're going to go when you're going from space to Earth. And I'd imagine you don't just want to just fall out of space into some random radiated country. 12 out of 19. Found that one helpful. What a... Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you a, for 12. What a great 12. review. Great. Um, I, I saved those for guys. Uh, we have a returning customer. Uh, oh is right on Daddy-O. Right on Daddy-O. With their 6 out of 10 review here. ISS, I'm so sleepy. <laughs> In space, no one can hear you snore. I it's love, good. I love space thrillers. No, we're not, we're not going there. I love <laughs> international intrigue and also double, triple, quadruple crossing movies going every which way like it's your head spinning is in the clouds. Or for what I was hoping in this case, way, way above them. But here, not so much. Instead of blasting off, this film stayed completely and utterly grounded. It's 20 minutes before it even goes scorched earth on us. 
it's talky talk time until then. And I'm good with riveting dialogue, building a good, solid story. But this is not that. In either Russian or English. It's blah blah blah, no matter the language. And once the earth is finally set ablaze, don't act like you're not there for it. <laughs> There's a slow, boring solo spacewalk outside the space station. And the most ridiculous small talk takes place between an astronaut and crew member. The planet is literal dumpster fire in the background this whole time, and we have to hear about relationships and whatnot between these two. Living through the spachemin in this scene on his walk outside the ISS, <laughs> I just wanted to rip my helmet off and go flailing into the darkness. <laughs> but this is not the worst move. This is not the worst movie of 2024. So far, no, so far that title belongs to a haunted in-ground pool. Night swim. <laughs> but this movie just doesn't have it. Watch out beneath you, night swim. It feels like a Roland Emmerich film, but it's definitely not. I actually quite liked Moonfall 2022. This doesn't even come close to that. It oh, doesn't have oof. enough booster power to thrust you into the stratosphere. ISS. International Sleep Study. Three out of nine found that helpful. I, uh, love, I love the little tangents. Just talking about... Funny guy. What a silly boy. Uh, YKJDH has a opposing view. And he writes this about ISS. Nine out of ten. I don't know what some of these folks who gave it a bad review saw. Double question mark, double exclamation mark. Lots of folks down in this movie must have some sort of bias when they see an actual story resembling some sort of originality. The storyline was actually pretty realistic and accurately displayed a what-if situation. What if? What if the U.S. and Russia were suddenly to engage in war with each other? What if the only hope American folks lies in a man-made structure somewhere in outer space? I found the movie to be claustrophobic at times. And it kept me on the edge of my seat. This is not a sequel or some sort of played-out comic book flick, but an actual scary situation that could happen if not for the fact that the ISS was decommissioned. <laughs> I added that bit in. This reminded me of an older movie called Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> Another old Emmerich reference. That was not planned. I did not read this review all the way through. From decades ago. This old, this old movie. God. Oh, God. I think yeah. that movie came out in 2005, so I don't think it's actually been decades. <coughs> um, I'll, I'll look that up later. Still. What made it scary was the state of the world at that time, similar to that movie and even a hint of the original Alien movie. It's like you're caught up in the action on screen while wondering if this whole thing will even end well for either side. I'd say if you go into this one, go into it expecting an original storyline and not some hyper-fantasy comic book movie. This is not that kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> 12 wow. out of 35 found that helpful that's that's their bar <laughs> oh, not that kind of movie 
day after tomorrow was 2024, but oh, it did not, or 24, or 2004, Jesus Christ, my my head is broken. Um, but I believe it released in the summer. So um, it's not quite two decades old yet. I see. Um, Alas. But anyway, Sabia, Sabilia has a 1 out of 10 review of ISS. This movie was horrible. I've only written a movie review once before, but after watching this movie, I felt I had to write this one as a public service. This movie was so boring, I actually fell asleep about five times. Thank goodness it was only an hour and a half long, one and a half hours long, because any longer would have been torture. I don't think falling asleep five times in an hour and a half is a burn on the movie. But you might have narcolepsy. <laughs> it's a little bit of a self-report. You might have some beatus. You might need to get looked at. <laughs> the characters were boring, and most of what they said or did made no sense. Most movies, you want the good guys to win, but here, I didn't care. I was just hoping the space station would blow up so the movie would end. Like someone else said, the only good parts are in the movie preview. Watch the preview a few times and call it a day. Two out of five found that <laughs> helpful. Uh, finally. Finally. From uh, t- uh, Tomas Lillibror. He's just a Lillibror. Just a Lillibror. Uh, five out of ten. Shaken and stirred at the same time. A shaky okay. movie format remake attempt of The 100 in Zero G. Kinda. What initially disturbs me is the failure of depicting Zero G. The characters are always moving back and forth, back and forth, etc. All at the same time, the camera is also moving back and forth, up and down, side to side. It's really annoying. To add to this, you can clearly see the actors are hanging from the roof in the cables. The story is a catastrophe movie, and everyone loses their heads and things go south. Halfway into the movie, it almost got unbearable because it was so predictable and stupid. I just wanted to leave the theater. The acting is quite good, though, but with the lame story, it can only do so much. I would not recommend this movie because you will likely feel worse at leaving the theater than entering the theater. Do something else with your life. Five out of eight found that helpful. Wonderful. Um, well, that's ISS. You walk away from that one. Yeah. Make make your own judgments. Um, well, the aforementioned Night Swim. <laughs> Finds itself right behind ISS in the standings. Uh, in eighth, two point seven nine nine million in its third week, down thirty nine point seven percent, raking in a tidy thirty eight million dollars worldwide. Um, if it were any other kind of movie, I would say it's probably losing money. But we all know how much it costs to put out a horror movie. When these you days. have one set, and that set is a pool. Well, yeah, they probably just shot this 
in one of the like producers or crew hands backyards. They brought one. They bought one of James Cameron's secondhand underwater cameras. <laughs> they brought one of the ones from like 1997 when they shot the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> hey, do you still have the fucking cameras from the Abyss? Yeah, can we use those? <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> sure. Sure. Wouldn't recommend it. Uh, the boys in the boat rowing themselves <laughs> into five more theaters, but not up in the standings. Um, dropping a spot this week as they lose 26.1%. Uh, total worldwide gross of $46.9 million. Um, okay. 45 of which is domestic. Most of its sales will come from being one of the last DVDs ever produced. <laughs> going right into your grandpa's shelf collection. Um, poor Things claws its way into the top 10 in its seventh week, rolling out into 820 more theaters, um, a reopening in 820 theaters, likely on the back of its uh, Oscar campaign that's gaining some steam. Um, 35 million worldwide in total for poor things. Um, I think its widest release was, um, hold on. IMDb can give me this information. Uh, okay. It's not accessible on the page I'm in and I don't want to waste a ton of time digging for it, but I don't think it ever got into like 4,000 theaters or even 30 or maybe not even 2,500. Yeah. And they kept it pretty small, um, which is an interesting tactic, I, I guess, in order to be eligible for Academy Awards. So one of the reasons, well, I guess that's not true anymore, right? Because Netflix, Roma got in one Best Picture. Well, it used so as I, what I was yeah. about to say is it used to be you had to, if the movie had to play in theaters for a certain number of weeks or days, I don't remember which, to be eligible for Academy Awards. Um, yeah. It could just be a single theater. So perhaps that's how they get around it with some of these streaming movies. Um, that's one of the reasons, like, if you if you watch the, or read the Disaster Artists or watch the credits. I see, um, okay. So I They mentioned that Tommy spent a bunch of money keeping theaters for Academy Award consideration. I see. Um, it needs to be in theaters, I think, for a week. Or it says, I'm looking at this clip from Wikipedia. Um, the main method is a week-long theatrical release in either New York City or Los Angeles County during the eligibility period. Films can also qualify by winning specified awards at one of several competitive film festivals designated by the Academy, also I without see. regard to prior public distribution. That is probably how some of those Netflix movies get in. Yeah. Um... Right, so that's why they might release a movie like Poor Things that doesn't make a ton of money into theaters, but they want to get the awards prestige, um, and it needs to have that theatrical run. Um, so there's a little education for y'all. Yep. Um, and that rounds up the top ten and concludes the follow-up for this week. Uh, we'll talk briefly on some gaming news. Uh, not that I have a whole lot to talk about. Power World, though, is going off. Yep. Um, it becomes just the second game on Steam ever to hit 2 million 
concurrent players, and uh, it's also on Game Pass. So who knows how many more are playing on that side of things. Um, I bought it. I then refunded it after learning it was on Game Pass, and also after playing about 45 minutes of it. Uh, didn't have a ton of fun, really feels. Um, it's it's a lot like, it's, I think it's a lot more like Ark than it is uh, Pokemon. And um, the developer, they pretty much abandoned their last game, uh, which plays exactly the same as this, except without the Poke clones in it. Yeah. And okay. was in early access for like, it has been in early access for almost four years because they kind of just abandoned it. So I don't have a whole lot of hope that Pal World's going to evolve much beyond the states in now. And the states mm-hmm. in now, I mean, yeah, if you and your friends are having fun at it, more power to you. But I found it to be kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're, well, it seems like, yeah, like if you like Ark or the modern. The modern, gen- more generic kind of crafty, survivally buildy based stuff. Um, yeah, if that's your jam, then you'll like this. But yeah, I guess I was I think... coming into this expecting like an advent, like a more of an adventure kind of theme, where it was more about the pals and the guns and stuff, and less about the crafting. Yeah. It's really all the crafting and like the technology tree. And all your trees, like, if you just kind of glance through them like I did for, like, five minutes, you won't see too much that excites you. And, like, leveling up your base, it's just, it's a monotonous checklist. It just doesn't really engage much. It it, it feels like a job, right? <laughs> and this is coming from someone whose favorite part of Starfield was outpost management. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I feel like I could just get. I again, I have. I I said I was gonna play it, but it was not this week. Um, but I, I might get in just to just to see. I don't know if it, if it's still on sale or not. If they're continuing the sale, just because of like how well, popular it's only it's, been. it's only thirty bucks, and it was only off ten percent. So, okay, I mean, you don't, don't lose too much. Yeah, I could blow thirty bucks to see whether if a game's middling or not and then have it well just play it less just play it less than two hours and you can refund it that's what i did okay um yeah so i but there there's a lot of there's because there's so many people playing it there's so many people talking about it um a lot of people talking about the pokemon like bring it like all the way to like copyright um like claims not from nintendo but like at nintendo like hey nintendo they're ripping off your stuff so nintendo released like a statement this week it was like yes there's a game that's like really similar to us and we'll keep an eye on it please don't email us about this again because our legal team is pretty fucking sure it's fine did they say they're fine or are they just like prepping their case against them um, it was pretty vague. Let me find, see if I can find uh, Pal World Nintendo statement. Because Nintendo's super fucking litigious. I I think it's just yeah. a matter of time before Pal World. Um, let's see. Is at least threatened with a lawsuit. I don't know if they'll go through with it, yeah. but 
Um, so here's the here's the full transcript of their short little their message. Inquiries regarding other companies' games. We have received many inquiries regarding another company's game released in January 2024. We have not granted any permission for the use of Pokemon intellectual property or assets in that game. We intend to investigate and take appropriate measures to address any acts that infringe on intellectual property rights related to the Pokemon. We will continue to cherish and nurture each and every Pokemon and its world and work to bring the world together through Pokemon in the future. Signed, The Pokemon Company. All right, that says to me they're prepping their case, and Pal World's probably got about two months before they're served with their first cease and desist from Nintendo. Yeah. Well, get it now. Um, although there was a news story that came out that the there was one guy who was like who had like evidence that these were directly ripped from Pokemon models. Well, I mean, look at the Nubis. Like it's it's fucking a recolored Lucario. Like, there's no two ways about it. <laughs> yes, the designs are really similar. Um, but that particular, like, one of the particular leakers who was like, here, I have the evidence. He was, he was, that guy in that case was making it up. Yeah. He was bringing force fake. Like, I don't think they stole models or anything like that. But, um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of similarities. And it's super popular which is why I think Nintendo might take some action because, I mean, if they can, right? So there's there's limits to what copyright can do and protect. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might not have a super strong case, but they probably have enough of a case to threaten legal action. And if the developers of PAL World uh, want to fight it, I mean, they probably don't have the money to fight it for very long and nintendo can just drag out the legal proceedings and bury them under legal fees until they give up yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see i think i think they'll probably have to change the in the end they'll probably have to change the names of some things like i think Mm -hmm. pal sphere is a little too close to pokeball (laughs) and and some of the stuff like that more egregious designs Yes, change some of the ones that are more blatantly ripped off of certain Pokemon and, you know, maybe tweak some of the presentation methods of, like, how capture and, you know, that sort of thing works to just to make it seem a lot more distinct from Pokemon because right now it very much leans into its uh, Pokemon similarities. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're not going to be able to get away with doing that for too much longer. So um, it'll be interesting the situation to keep your eye on for the next few weeks. Yep. And be assured with this many people playing and having bought the game, people will be keeping their eyes on it. Yeah. Um, our other big story is Microsoft laying out laying off 1,900 staff from its workforce. So this is... <laughs> A continuation of the ongoing proceedings of them being uh, them acquiring Activision Blizzard, you know Bobby Kotick leaving. Um, and yeah, now, I mean even beyond that, like there a lot of companies in the tech sector are laying off people, like a lot of people. Yeah, it's been pretty uh, pretty big news in the industry for for a minute now. Yeah, I was going to say it's been ongoing to a lesser degree for a few months now. I think when we talked yeah. about it the last time we talked about this was kind of like an anticipation of a possible 
like recession coming up. Yes. Um, I think that's what a lot of it is. Um, re- a lot of companies are seeing, you know, slightly down of uh, projection revenues. Um, so one of the ways to make your revenue number look really good in the short term is to trim your overhead. And one of the quickest ways to trim your overhead is to cut payroll. And uh, so, you know, we're getting we're yep. coming up on the end of the fiscal year. So so when all these layoffs are going to start coming so that the end of the fiscal year numbers look good, um, it's yeah. shitty. And, you know, publicly traded companies are just they as soon as you get that IPO going, you've started the death spiral. You might you might have a, a really high peak before the death spiral, but you can't grow in perpetuity. But that's going to be what your shareholders expect. And they harvest all the potential longevity of your company for yeah. short-term profits. Um, notable amongst the those laid off is Mike Ybarra, who was and uh, he was a former Xbox executive, and I believe holds uh, had, he held a high-level management role in the company. Um, His is a name that I recognize. Yes, yeah. So it's it was cuts, uh, maybe not even probably not evenly distributed up and down the ladder proportional to the staff there. But um, certainly it did at least affect uh, not just the lower levels. Um, Whether or not that's consolation at all for, for anyone. uh, I don't think so. Probably not. I mean, you know, we, we don't like seeing people lose their jobs just as a general Piece. And, you know, it, it sucks even more when it's a company like Microsoft that has more than enough money to keep all these people employed. Um, and this is also, yeah, they have, they have money to keep people employed, but incentives to make more money. It is also why they are, I believe there's either rumors, whether confirmed or not, um, that they may be taking down their physical games to, uh, division and go going fully digital. That would not surprise me. Um, Microsoft has long been at the front of digital distribution, so much so that they propped up HD DVD as a format to compete against Blu-ray to keep Sony busy while they (laughs) hedged into, uh, you know, digital distribution of movies and music and stuff like that. Um, So they're definitely... A company that would would very much do something like that. Whether and or not this, yeah, and whether or not this will extend to console, I don't know. That's a much murkier question. Um, I know people because a lot of spe- this is the speculation, very much the speculation part of it. But people are like, are they going to go the way of Sega, where they just they're just going to do the games? Um, you see, I think that's where. I think mean, that's where they're both heading, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, you, they as... lose they lose money on on the hardware for like a number of years whenever they release a new console, and they're yeah. relying on the software sales. And if more people, especially as we push more into like cloud gaming. As mm-hmm. as much as I don't like cloud gaming, and I'm not, I don't think it's there yet. Um, 
Like the bottom line for these companies looks a lot better if they're not taking the hardware loss and, Mm -hmm. you know, just do pump out the software. Like that's where they're making the money now. Why not just cut out the part that's losing you money? Right. And that's kind of where the advantage is. Like I think about this in multiple ways, right? Because, you know, we talk a lot about video game consoles. We talk about the old generations. And thing something we didn't really talk about is that, like, you know, PC gaming was living alongside those a lot of the time. But um, more so back in those days, one of the advantages of console games was it was more or less plug and play. Um, yeah. Getting a good PC back in earlier console generations to game was more of a feat than it was today. Um, you had to be a lot more savvy about um, putting uh, your PC together and making sure everything worked so that it ran um, effectively. Yeah, the, there were there were some more moving parts. I I don't think it was like ridiculously more complicated than it is today. Is today, but certainly like PC was pretty much its own kind of ecosystem. Like, there wasn't the crossover that we have now. Like, multi-platform stuff was a lot rarer back in the day, just in general, and much less. Like, you didn't see Genesis stuff wind up on the PC too often. Like, it did come, like, in stuff like the Sega Smash Pack Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, But Nintendo didn't release a ton on the PC. Um, And, you know, stuff like Mario never made it to PC, uh, you know, Metroid, all that stuff was was locked away on yeah. console. But uh, you know, you did have stuff like Doom and Quake and mm-hmm. Unreal, and a lot of games that were on the PC in the era that just couldn't like really exist on consoles at the time. Yeah. Um. And but so now we- there's a lot more crossover. Yeah, and it's kind of going along with this, right? We're I'm just thinking about consoles themselves. Like, not only are PCs becoming more accessible to more and more accessible to a general audience um, with stuff like even stuff like Alienware. You know, it's not the it's definitely not the best product for the money. But if you are a, if you are a PC novice and just want to buy a game, you know, you don't want to think about putting a gaming PC together. Well, even, even I'll do you one better, stuff like the ROG Ally and, mm-hmm. you know, Steam Deck, these portable game, the Lenovo Legion, like that whole yeah. market segment is like just PCs that are focused on delivering you a gaming experience. Um, you know, they're dockable like a Switch. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a form yeah. factor that console people who primarily played on console can like approach and understand mm-hmm. um and you know it's just like it, it's, it's never been easier to right. game on pc and, and consoles I, themselves have become more and more pc like including right. some of the downsides of pc gaming like games crashing and shit yeah so you, you know where i'm going with this where i ask the question what's the value prospect the question become larger is what is the value prospect of getting a console getting your console box other than, you know, I think one of the main drivers, like a significant driver at this point, is uh, console loyalty. Is I, can't, I always buy Xboxes. It's, um, yeah. I mean, it's part console loyalty and it's part price. Um, you know, true. something. A PS5 is probably 
still a little more beefy. I mean, an Xbox One X2, um, or Series X, whatever they're called now. <laughs> um, you know, they're a little bit beefier than something like a Lenovo Legion Go, but uh, not not too 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 much. Uh, well, a fair we're, amount, but the cost the, yeah. the cost is similar, right? So you can get a little more hardware. Uh, for the money, but that's mm-hmm. where you know Microsoft and Sony lose money. So if they're like, well, let's just get them on a platform, and maybe, maybe that's what the next Xbox is, right? It's just like a Microsoft bl- branded, you know, PC type deal. What I yeah. mean, that's basically what an Xbox is now, but you know, maybe not like custom architecture and you know specialized hardware maybe just more off-the-shelf stuff um mm-hmm. you know same with sony and like that kind of lasts you a while and then you know you have upgradeability with other off-the-shelf parts um and they just like pay a system integrator to put together for them and they slap their logo on it maybe subsidize the cost a little bit um and uh, you know that's that's what consoles are moving forward they're just branded pcs yeah that that honestly could be uh where we're headed um it's it'll be interesting to see uh because yeah i guess like you said the the kind of price for the all-in-one uh everything in a box ready to go for consoles is is a uh, you know, a reasonable factor for considering, especially for something like the Switch, where again the hardware is specialty. That's another thing with consoles. It's, that it's you close, see is like, though. Like I want to point out, it's cl- like the ROG Ally. I just saw it on sale on Best Buy today. It's like four hundred bucks on sale, and that's less than a PS Five, less than an Xbox Series X, and it comes with the added benefit of having its own screen, yeah. <laughs> so you don't even need to have a TV. <laughs> Very true. Um, one more thing before we move on from this, I just want to think, I was just thinking about this, that like, yeah, the other, the one, uh, one more thing as you get further in console generations is, um, like you said, they get more generic. Like I think about the Dreamcast, I think about the PS1, PS2, where a lot of the power you got to gain from that was the hardware quirks of yeah. those specific systems. And that's why, you know, porting from those days was so hard. And like- so, like, you got such cool stuff. Like, I just was watching a video before I came down to record um, about the PlayStation 2 port of Half-Life and, like, how, mm-hmm. like, somehow the wizards at Gearbox were able to get a version of Half-Life that runs at just a slightly lower resolution than most people played on PC, running near 60 frames per second with, like, higher polygon uh character models and higher resolution textures on the ps2 because they they really optimized for all those sort of things the ps2 did well and with the unity engine and all that sort of stuff and you know all this you know ps3 exclusives were able to be very impressive because if you knew how to leverage that architecture you could do some pretty incredible things for that hardware oh yeah but you just don't see it now like it's all it's like you used to have a wide you used to have like really custom architectures that were you know maybe co-developed with more standard stuff but now it's all x86 hardware you know like the fucking ps4 and xbox one ran on a uh like eight core tablet cpu 
developed by AMD and, mm-hmm. you know, had roughly a 480 or 7870-type um, GPU on there, very similar GPU architecture. Um, you know, the basically the PS5 has like a, a 3060 in it, <laughs> a 2070 Super, something like that. Like it's all yeah. basically off the shelf hardware now. It's it's yep. it's really they're all samey. It's they're all basically PCs now with running a custom operating system. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know my I didn't have a point to this. I was just sort of thinking about it. It was a fun little industry was, talk. Yeah. Remember just remember think remember your grandfathers. <laughs> you gotta know yeah. who your daddy is. You gotta know your parents. And um, uh Speaking yeah, of, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's speaking of parents or whatever, but we're talking about him over Treasure Island now. Yeah, <laughs> the the kid, he didn't, his character didn't know his parents. Yeah, little Jim Hawkins. Uh, you know, you know, it's a strong movie when it can survive such a terrible child actor. Like yes. this kid was definitely hired because he could sing pretty good, and not because he could act good. No. <laughs> Um, but they, they work with that. Um, they work around him very well. It adds adds to the flavor, I guess. No, this was, um, yeah, this was like prime nineties. It was surprising how, like how much nineties this was and how quality this was too. Um, because those things go together. Uh, (laughs) Um, cause this is like, people don't talk about this, but this is like a classic, 90s Disney Renaissance style musical, not by Disney because Muppets were not Disney at this time. Is that true? I don't think they were. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they were. I, I thought they feel... were their own thing. I thought they were separate. Um, let me, I'll look into, I'll investigate this. Um, but um, yeah, Muppet Treasure Island, like I, I legitimately love this movie. Like when people ask me, what's your favorite musical? I tell them with a straight face, Muppet Treasure Island. Absolutely. Um, and that's not even like being physique. Like the music in this movie is fucking fire. Hans Zimmer did the score. Yes, and the did. opening number, Shiver My Tempers, fucking slaps so goddamn hard. Yep. <laughs> I sing it in the shower all the fucking time. <laughs> I do I... all the voices too. Because you, yep. you gotta. My family always like, we. We use uh, cabin fever very often. <laughs> yes, that's uh, another one. It's a perfect applicability one. But yes, yeah, like I didn't, I wasn't expecting to talk about this like a musical. But like, yes, here it is. That I mean, that is what it is, and I don't deny that. Um, it's it just everything's placed so well with with shots care. Like this this movie does two things, more than two things, but two things particularly very well. You are correct. Is, um. Disney did not uh, finally purchase the Muppets until February of 2004. However, uh, they had been like negotiating for 14 years to buy the Muppets. So they were working in close collaboration. And I I do think this was distributed by Walt Disney. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Like the Fraggles were on Disney TV, right? Uh, that sounds right. Or maybe Fraggle Lock was on HBO for some weird reason. Now, now you got me curious. <laughs> yeah, take take a look. Um, we're not going to talk about the plot. The plot is the plot of Treasure, Treasure Island. Island. 
it's not, it is it is crazy is a a sort of like there's one heavy modification made to the plot of treasure island and that's uh ben gunn is now benjamin gunn is now benjamina gunn and yeah. the history between uh her now and uh captain long smollett. john silver and oh, captain john. smollett is a little bit different including a joke like i had seen this a month ago but there was even a joke that i did not get until i watched it this time <laughs> where when they meet and he's like hello long john <laughs> and kermit's like really you two <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a pirate. I was a lady. <laughs> you know how that goes. I was like, "Damn, that's that classic. That's that classic '90s. We slipped one in over the kids' heads." Oh, there's there's a lot like that. The Muppets were famous for that. Like that. Oh yeah. It, there's a reason why they work so well under the Disney umbrella is because much like a lot of you know your classic Disney and Pixar movies, there's there's some stuff for the adults in there. Like the mm-hmm. whole subplot with Rizzo doing a side hustle, yeah. <laughs> like as a cruise. Like you know, those are all jokes that are not in there for the kids. <laughs> yeah, um, that is one of the things. So the two things: one, all the musical elements are placed very well, uh, and two the comedy elements are integrated amazingly with your literary adaptation. And this same can, thing can be said for kind of Christmas, Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, and I was thinking about this. I was, wa- I was watching this movie. I was thinking about these things. Um, and it's like, it was just kind of amazing to watch happen. Um, because a lot, so a lot of movies, I think about a lot of movies today and a lot of kind of send offs on classic, uh, genre movies and they a lot of them today do it in a similar way which is to lampshade hang the fuck out of it out of their tropes yeah. and and in the process um, you might not notice it but your brain does my brain did where it'll grind whatever movie you're watching to a halt so that everyone can go that's weird that's not a normal thing. Why are, why are you, I mean, they even did this as early as the mid two thousands, but, um, you know, the, the trope of like, why are we singing all of a sudden now? You know, this doesn't make sense here. Why would you, you know, like that weird, like we're going to stop and acknowledge the, the break from the, the aesthetic and the trope or the, um, the genre. And it's yeah. like this movie just does not do that. We have not gotten there yet. Well, it kind of does movie it. Benefits greatly from it. It does it, and it sort of, sort of does it in one instance, right? So after Cabin Fever, when uh, Long John Silver's crew is in the brig, uh, the goat's like, "What was that song that just happened?" It's like Cabin okay. Fever. Ah, but it's not taking a. Br- it's acknowledging that the musical break happened, but it's not like pausing it in the middle of it and it's just a one throwaway line and they look at him and they say what and then immediately we're back to yes. plot advancing and that is the key of it is that like because Rizzo and Gonzo are like fucking breaking the fourth wall all the time we're making like anachronistic jokes cutting right through it but the thing is that none of the other characters whenever they make those kind of jokes they don't acknowledge it like they treat it as like the the flavor of what it is was like uh, you know if you're like you're bantering he was like bantering with one of the other characters and they say like oh yeah and then that's on and you should see the script or whatever and then the like long john silver just he'll just laugh and just brush it off 
and then you just yeah. keep rolling. Yeah, it, like it's sort of like in in a, in such a way where, um, if you want to consider it as him acknowledging what was said, you can, but you can also not like if you took the di- if you took the anachronistic dialogue out, like the scene is unchanged. Right. Um, and that that works that was, really well for the movie. And because like, like you said, it, otherwise it would it's weird, right? It's like if uh, the characters in the movie being watched on Mystery Science Theater 3000 interacted with the jokes that the guys were making. Exactly. Well, yeah, it's it, it breaks it all. It turns it into mush. And the and what this does instead was it adds a flavor of comedy to a a simple and straightforward um adventure story and believe it or not <laughs> audiences like that kind of shit yeah. audiences do like just a regular adventure a regular it, story it works. A, like especially for such a timeless uh book and adaptation thereof yeah there have been a lot of uh treasure island adaptations heck Disney even did their own one a few years after this in Treasure Planet. It did not go as well. Um, no, I would say it was Muppets underrated. But that's my opinion. Maybe we'll visit uh, it sometime. I don't know. I I think they already had the better Treasure Island adaptation <laughs> under their roof, and it was kind of unnecessary. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's also a uh, Treasure Island, like a straight adaptation of the Treasure Island story um starring a very young christian bale actually um and that's a pretty good movie as well yeah um but yeah this is the this is very much the story where it's like it's it's good enough to stand on their own and they didn't feel the need to change it or it's 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 kitted up a bit right like there's Mm -hmm. no there's a there's a very iconic scene in treasure islands um both the the christian bale movie and in the book where uh what's the kid's name oh hawkins hawkins yes thank you um is up in like the crow's nest and you know one of long john's crew is like climbing up the the mast real quick and he's got like a knife in his mouth or something Mm -hmm. and you know he's frantically trying to reload the pistol to to shoot him down and he like he just does it right before he gets to him um, like okay. you know, that's not in this movie, obviously, because this is for kids. Right. So, like, you, you do, do clean throw, it up a bit. They do throw. It's that in that '90s, '80s way. There's still more profanity and a little more graphic scenes than you'd see in a sim a similar caliber movie today. Like, you know, people do get shot. There's, <laughs> they break out them flintlocks. They just don't show it on screen. They cut yeah. away from it. There's um, yeah, there's the implication of people being shot, but like you can yeah. also, like it, it it's in it's done in such a way where like the kid asking the question to their their parent on the way home or whatever, like they can easily navigate around it, and like yeah. without having to address it if they have to, if they chose to do so. So let's also so we'll take a break from that and talk about the song list. Um, let me find the the actual name of the uh, songs here. Um, so we start with um, Shiver My Timbers. 10 out right. of 10, absolute fucking banger. Great. 
So what I really like about this is how well all like how clear and how useful the reason for all these songs are. This one is the villain song, which in musicals is usually the I am song where it says who your villain is and what they represent as a concept. And this one it's pirates. They're the bad guys are pirates. They are bad guys who steal treasure and uh, they don't have loyalty. Um, You know, they'll, they'll sell you out for, for any sort of monetary reward. Um, You know, like they'll and they'll kill you in cold blood if it serves their purposes. Pirates are bad dudes, and also establishes the treasure, like the key of Treasure Island. This is what yes, the treasure there's is. there's treasure buried on this island. There be yes. gold in them hills. Yep. Um, then next one, a little after, is something better, which is the other counterpart to traditional in in most of these musicals from the '90s. Right, you have your I Am song, but you also have the I Want song, which is your hero song typically, which says, this is what I want out of life. This is my motivation for what I'm doing, and it helps you empathize with the main character of the movie. In this case, um, young yeah, Jim, Jim Hawkins. Hawkins, he wants a life of adventure and to, to leave his mundane life behind, which is very, very similar to um, the, I Am, the I Want song from Beauty and the Beast, but that's just um, a coincidence. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like, I don't know, maybe there was a musical version of Treasure Island. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the story is older than Beauty of the Beast, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. Um, sailing for Adventure. That's um, a good one. That's a good one. It has, you know, it's it establishes the rest of the crew as characters. And, like, we're on the boat. It says, it's, it's the transition of, we are now on the boat. We are going and we are moving. Yeah, and stuff. it's it's the it introduces it's, us into it's the second upbeat. Act. It's upbeat. It's it's kind of like got that inspiring feel because you're embarking on an adventure and like the the way that song is constructed, you know, invokes that emotion. You know, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, we're all getting ready. We're happy. This is the start of a, a grand voyage. Everyone's you know kind of singing and working together. Yep, it's inspiring. It's great. That's what that's what a music number is for. Is when an emotion gets so big that you can't just talk about it. You have to sing about it. Um, Cabin Fever is. I think this one's especially kind of clever because the middle section of this movie is when they're on the boat and there's there's scheming about there's scheming afoot and you know um, kind of machinations happening. But it's not as important. You know, as not as introductory as the first third and not as bombastic action-packed as the the third third so not not a whole lot is happening so they go oh now it's time to put in the zaniest song of the entire film so they have the total the cabin fever where they throw in all the muppetness here's them in like uh salsa dancing uniforms and uh maracas everywhere it's a huge party song uh where they just break from everything and, then and it, it, it it works within the context of the movie, too, because, you know, they've been out at sea for a long time. There hasn't been a whole lot happening in a while on screen. And then, you know, like they kind of they don't ignore that in the film. Like not a whole lot has been happening on the boat just in general. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, these people are going stir crazy. And then it breaks out into cabin fever, which is a fun, zany number that kind of, you know, breaks up because there's there had been a couple of like serious things that happened before they're like Gonzo and, and Rizzo getting kidnapped. Yeah. Um so like, you know, this kind of like breaks away from it 
prevent it prevents it from getting too serious. Exactly. Um, and then you have uh, you have Professional Pirate, which comes after um, Long John Silver's. Betrayal. I'd say this kind is of more of the villain song. Yes, this. I mean, this is very much um, where he is. He is a professional pirate, and yes. it's for twofold. Where it's still you get to hear about you know it's it's a song for the villain after his betrayal, which is kind of surprising. Where it's like maybe giving him a little more complexity, but it's also mainly because they just want Tim Curry to. Give Tim Curry his fucking number. His musical Let number, Let him be yeah. Tim Curry. And it's awesome. And it, it is, it's an awesome song, and it 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 really serves his character well, Long John's character well. Because Long John, I mean, he's a bad guy, right? But, you know, he's not a bad guy. Right. <laughs> like, from he's... his perspective, he sees himself as an enterprising individual who, along with his you know, band of brothers are, you know, taking care mm. of themselves. Um, right. And like, he has some loyalties to people like, and you see it later in the movie where he kind of saves Jim from, from a bad fate um, that, you know, he's not, he's not completely, he's got a, yeah, he's a got guiding a moral compass, yeah. you know, there's, but it's not this, enough to reconcile him from li- leaving his life of piracy. Yeah. Um, Great. And I think the last musical number was Love Let Us Here. Yes. Which is you it's a you know that one's a little less important, but it's just we want to give Kermit and Miss Piggy a number. And we'll yeah, give them a love theme. And every good a, you know, good musicals need a love theme. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a fine enough love theme. Um you know, it doesn't serve too much purpose in the story, and it kind of just serves as a means to kind of punctuate a joke with uh you know Dr. Honeydew and, and Beaker and then kind of serve as a means to get uh Captain Smollett back on onto the the warpath yeah. and as it lead were. us back lead us into the action climax in the movie. Yes. And uh you know it's a fun action climax uh especially for a Muppet movie. Um you know there's there's goofiness to it but there's you know also you know some real bombastic action mm-hmm. um you know the whole movie really just it, it it's paced incredibly well it's like an hour and 36 minutes top to bottom yeah um there's never a point where it drags and when it, it no. feels like it's about threatening to drag cabin fever happens yeah. exactly <laughs> i oh god i was just thinking about that because like um, just one more thing with the musical numbers before we move off i love that in love let us here i forgot about this when i was watching it it's them like during the verses it's them singing to each other but during the chorus it's tim curry like fucking mugging the screen as they like (laughs) as they shower themselves in gold (laughs) it's so good yeah and it works because like like, his love of treasure led him there and their love of each other led them there I, multiple levels works on multiple levels at least two i think it's because they knew that like you couldn't just make a you couldn't just put the love theme here like it's yeah not the kids the keep. kids would and the kids would reject it i think yeah um, and um that does, i also yeah i also gotta talk about the set design set design is awesome really oh yeah they killed it much like him up at christmas carol like yep. <laughs> legitimately really good set design and costuming <laughs> The the iconic like I love the it's the planimetric framing before Wes Anderson, where you have the ship right in the middle of the frame, just sitting out in the open blue. The framing of the island, 
on the you know as the sun's rising and setting i like even in the bar like the first one that catch my eyes like when they're in the uh the inn and blind pew comes in at the beginning and they built the set to accentuate the dutch angle they used when yeah. he comes in because they build the it's almost like german impressionist where they build the door frame off kilter to give you that sense of like off tilt and unease so they can, can we talk the shot really thoughtful shit can we talk for a second about how blind pew is the greatest character in the history of fiction oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i fucking love this guy yeah <laughs> he, he he has the greatest introduction ever. Like you know, they they settle down at the end for the night, and just out of nowhere, the door fucking flies open, and there's this fucking crocodile double. Muppet with the double eye patch. He's like Billy Bones. Billy Bones <laughs> is me, Blind Pew. <laughs> <laughs> And he just has like this over the top French accent. And fucking some of the jokes, man, like some sort of a blind fiend. I believe they prefer visually challenged fiend. Fiend. (laughs) And then, like, seconds later, he's like, I may be visually challenged, but I can see that you're lying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that's, and that's really one of the merits of like how funny this fucking movie is. It's just these little jabs. Just bah, bah. Yeah, like they 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 hit the joke, like they're they're telling a, they're doing a serious ish retelling of Treasure Island, but every so often when the opening presents itself, they just bam jab a joke in there. Yeah, <laughs> and that because it's all and that just makes it all just flow fucking seamlessly. Like I I think about what this movie is like. This is a special effects or effects heavy, uh, practical effects heavy movie that's an hour and 42 with seven songs, com- comedy and jokes, action sequences, and... And, and a, a tightly like, woven adventure plot line. Yeah. Like, it's it really is, a, like, next level. It ca- ticks a lot of... Bo- like, it's a movie that... That's why it works so well as a family movie, right? And why you and I both have so many memories of watching this as children because it was a movie that you could put on and everyone in the family would be able to get something out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as a consequence, since there's not a whole lot of those movies and no parent wants to deal with their kids fucking arguing, Peter and I are both one of three kids. So (laughs) always a lot of arguing about what goes on the TV. But you pop Um, the tape in and and it's Muppet time. Everyone everyone shuts up and and enjoys it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, even though there are some rough parts of the movie, just <clears throat> Hawkins, uh, Hawkins actor. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but the, even though those there are some rough parts, every part of this movie shows an intention and a care to detail. Um, yeah. Everything was considered, thought out, and planned, and that really makes that makes the difference in these kind of movies. And it's why these movies, I feel like they have so much more uh, heart to them than yeah, because. Um, a lot of other movies I've seen. Yeah, and a lot of movies today, they're part of franchises. You know, they have, like, set release dates that they got to hit. So it's more like we got to keep the line moving and put out next product, not, like, 
we have an idea for a movie. Mm-hmm. We're going to make that movie and it'll come out when it's ready. Yeah. And I think it's telling that they only did two of these and they were like, we did two. Yeah, they did two we'll about four years apart. I really think that and I, I mentioned this a lot, especially because of how listless the Muppet property was in the kind of the intervening years between when this movie came out and like when the 2011 reboot movie kind of came out. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't a whole lot of Muppet properties. It was mostly TV specials pretty much after Disney bought them. They didn't do a whole lot with it until 2011. But I feel like that they should have kept going with these Muppet adaptations of literary classics. Yeah. Um, Cause there are a lot that lend themselves very well and you'd only have to clean up a little bit. Uh, to make it more appropriate for kids. We already mentioned Muppet Les Mis. I think that would have worked. One that always springs to mind when I think about this is Muppet Oliver Twist. I think that would have been a slam dunk. Very yep. easy to do. Um, Muppet uh, Adventures of Huck Finn, I think, would yep. have been really easy to do as well. Of course, you'd have to alter some characters sure. slightly. I don't know if this one's controversial. Um, I don't know if this book's controversial nowadays. I think there's some surrounding, but Muppet Time Machine, like H.G. Wells, The Time Machine. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I kind of shied away from some of the H.G. some of the sci-fi stuff because I don't know that that works super well in a Muppet setting, but okay. it could. I mean, you had Muppets in space, right? Right. Um, uh, but that didn't do so hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, I think you could maybe even do Muppet Movie Dick. Yep. Um, Although that might be a little too similar to this. Uh, Probably couldn't do any, like, Grapes of Wrath or Catcher in the Rye was one I thought about. But I was like, no, I don't know how you'd make that a kid's movie. Um, I'm just looking at some uh, classic, you know, I'm looking up classic literature of the 1800s. And um, Pride and Prejudice? I think that'd be a little too boring for kids. Yeah. Um, but you like there see that's like four movies and if you space them out the same four years cycle, you'd have one come out in 2000 and then 04, 08 and 2012. It basically lead us into the modern era of Muppets uh really easily. Um Yeah. I would say Alice in Wonderland, but that's already kind of taken as its own thing. Yeah, like I mean, there's a lot of of those kinds of ones you you could certainly do. Um, the point the point is that there's there's untapped potential with this premise. Yes, and uh, sad that they they stopped doing them. And hey, Disney, you know you got like even if it's just for Disney Plus, like some of the Muppet stuff you put out on Disney Plus, you know, like it was clearly we're throwing shit against the wall, seeing if something sticks. Go back to what you know is gonna work. Like, mm-hmm. do, do Muppet Oliver Twist, for fuck's sake. Like, yeah. it's so, it's right there. <laughs> like, I can, I can see little Robin <laughs> being, yeah. saying, please, sir, I want some, some more. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, do, do a fucking Muppet, Mr. Muppet and Dr. <laughs> Dr. Other Muppet. <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. You know, yeah, like, you, yeah. Oh, that'd be great. You could do Kermit as Doctor Jekyll, Animal as Mister Hyde. Yes. Oh, 
fucking see these things they it's just so strong of a vision right. just coming right out you can do it's it right there <laughs> do it please i beg of you yeah um, the, also the the other thing i would love to see on this and my my other dream would be avenue q was an actual stage play that got made which means you know they can do muppets on stage i want this to be a stage play <laughs> i want, want muppet, muppet treasure, treasure island the musical the broadway musical yeah i don't know who you'd get to play long john i mean tim curry's in a wheelchair now unfortunately yeah well broadway is bursting with talent i i hope i suppose that's true promising young singer who could who would be happy to step into the role and honored. i need you to bring that real muppet energy whoever you are <laughs> oh i know they would uh i know they would it these kind, of, you know, you tell someone like you're gonna be playing the role that Tim Curry plays. Like, oh shoot, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring the heat for that. You'd better. Yeah. Um, so, yes, absolutely, go watch this movie. If go. it's not obvious, like dis- it's on Disney Plus. Um, if you've never seen the movie, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, yeah. Go and watch it right now. It's one of the easiest watches you'll have. In a long time, and if you if you weren't living in the '90s and you want a slice of that, a little slice of that action of like what it was to be a child at that time, also go watch this movie. the the yeah. The accolades stack up very quickly, and we mainly did this. We brought this here because I was surprised that we had not done it earlier. So this is yes. writing like every every long- year when we do '90s winter, the uh, Muppet Treasure Island is like the first movie that pops into my head. Like every time, and I was like, "Nah, surely I did that the first one when we had like three months to fill. Surely that made it in there, but to my shock, it hasn't." <laughs> and like this we were one. like, "All right, we got to put an end to this. We got an extra week." Uh, this wrong rated. Yeah, we've we've put we've put uh, balance to the universe, so the the world is healing. John Stewart's coming back to the Daily Show. Yep. Everything's the world is healing to its pre twenty sixteen <laughs> state. We're realizing um, what we need to take back. Yes. Um, and that's love power, a little love power. <laughs> play, editor, play that over the credits. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we're low credits on this episode of the Sound Sets Podcast. Uh, join us next week when we should all three be back discussing A League of Their Own, uh, the Tom Hanks, Rosie O'Donnell picture. Um, and until then, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye. <laughs>